0: Hey what's up, welcome to What's Up Conversations, a podcast with icons and legends of the video game industry to celebrate their career, life and games. My special guest today is the fantastic Helen Hinper, one of the writers of Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium is a revolutionary game regarding its narrative and by approaching the release of Disco Elysium The Final Cut, I thought it would be great to have a masterclass with Helen to talk about narrative in games, her way of working Disco Elysium The Final Cut is the definitive edition of this smash hit RPG. New political vision quests, more characters, and full English voice acting, coming to PlayStation and Google Stadia March 2021. The final cut will also be available at no extra cost to all current owners of Disco Elysium on PC and Mac. Original players can expand their experience for free while new players can enjoy the new content from their first playthrough. Before we start, make sure to hit subscribe and notification on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please introduce What's Conversations to your friends and colleagues, because that would help the podcast a lot. For more information about What's Up Conversations and my work, please check out www.nikofarmusic.com. Alright, let's dive into the mind of a genius.
1: Hello and uh, yeah. welcome to WhatsApp Conversations, Helen. It's so lovely to finally be able to talk to you. You know that I'm a big fan of your work and this is so exciting. I'm <laughs> going to learn so much from you.
2: <laughs> it's so nice to be here and talk to you. Uh, it's really nice. <laughs> awesome.
1: So I-, I can't wait to learn more about Ooh. you, Helen. Please tell me about your childhood mm-hmm. growing up and the influences life has had on your career.
2: Hmm, uh that's such a big question. <laughs> um so we got time. yeah, uh yeah, exactly. I've got I got time. <laughs> I have time. Um yeah, so I uh, I grew up in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. Um I think around half of our studio uh, right now is uh, is from Estonia. So, um it was mostly this 90s post-Soviet um um it almost felt like wild west i would say so um it was it was definitely a very eclectic and very eccentric uh, time to grow up um i think a lot of it i think in many ways reva uh reminds me of um this talent 10 years ago or so uh especially this really kind of like um um like, if you look at the architecture, it, it always has this like eclectic mix of things, uh, all that. So uh, our art director, uh, Alexander Rosto, is also from Tallinn, so he's been really inspired by that. Um, yeah. And then um, yeah, uh, at some point, um, I met uh, Robert Robert Kervitz, uh our project lead. And uh, and Alexandra Rostov, and we started playing uh, pen and paper, all playing games together, and that's how song <laughs> came to be.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, I assume mostly uh, board games, right?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, it was board games, but we also uh, so we also uh, played video games, and then really discussed that. And we what already kind of like, games? so. What kind of games? I think I think we were big fans of uh, Planescape Torment and uh, and Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Um, but then also like around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, um, uh, just all kinds of RPGs. Really, um, Mass Effect had a had a huge influence actually uh, on us, and um, yeah. Um I think I think we all have kind of our own corner. Um so I would say that um Robert really likes those uh bigger RPGs um like um Dragon Age and uh, and all that. Um Rostov is more experimental, so he's really into all kind of experimental indie things. And I'm somewhere in between. So I guess one of the biggest influences on me has actually has actually been Silent Hill. Um oh, yeah. I just absolutely love I love horror genre in general. Me too. And yeah, it's it's um um I'm not sure how much influence it has had on um uh disco Elysium, but um I definitely tried to kind of incorporate some like slight horror elements when talking about Pale, for example, or when you're exploring the um, doomed commercial area. So yeah, that's kind of where I see the (laughs) Silent Hill
1: influence. (laughs) This is great. This is insane that your debut game is now considered by many people were the best games ever made in history and it was a revolution <laughs> in storytelling. Tell me about the first time you were introduced to Disco Elysium and how is it possible that the first game you guys made ended up becoming this amazing phenomenon?
2: Yeah, it was a huge surprise to us. So we, <laughs> uh, when we when we started out, I guess we started out with this idea of um, what kind of a game we would really like to play. Um And and since we had already had those pen and paper role-playing uh, campaigns in this world, uh, then it was quite easy to start thinking about the detective game. Um, so I would actually say that I was first in, uh, introduced to the world of Elysium uh, through Robert's first novel, uh, Sacred and Terrible Air. And um, and this takes place com- in a completely different place than, than Revachel and all that. So... Uh, but then after, after I read it, we kind of started brainstorming together and I started learning more about this world. Um, and it has changed a lot. It's been like over 10 years now. So uh, it has really, really changed a lot. Um, and when we actually, because we couldn't, we, were, we really did never um, thought that we would end up making video games. Uh, it was a rather big change for me because there is really no video game industry in uh, in Estonia uh, and it just seems like such a daunting task to put together an entire team. Um, but yeah, somehow somehow Robert and uh, Rosto started working on it. They invited me to join as well because I had already been involved in like other sessions and all that. So. Uh, it started coming, yeah, together, like around 2015. That's around around the time when I joined uh, the development team officially. And um, yeah, it, it changed a lot because at first, I'd say that at first we really oh. didn't know how to make video games and we didn't know how to write dialogues. So <laughs> um, I think all my first dialogues, they just, Got completely discarded, <laughs> um, and then at some point, then you point, guys
1: made a deal with devil, I guess.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> something, something, something magical happened at some point. Uh, yeah, I think I think the, the big uh, the big part of it was kind of uh, figuring out uh, uh, skills character. So what what uh, character each of the skill has, and it was a complete su- surprise because. Um, like I would be writing one dialogue in one corner, and then I would read like what my colleagues like Argo Dulik has written, and I've, I've noticed that oh wait, his logic is doing something completely different than my logic is doing, and then it would just kind of like build uh, upon each other's work and all that. So so it was like a very organic way how it all came together, mm-hmm. and and it definitely was a surprise because. Mm, when you have so many writers and so many people working uh, on one project, then I think even the project lead always doesn't know how exactly is it going to come together. Uh, the fact that there are like so many emotions there, like that there's humor and then there's there are, like really dark places where the um, uh, text goes. Uh, this is like all when you later look at it, and they're like, hmm, yeah, it does go really dark here. <laughs> like it kind of it's like it comes in hi- hindsight, I would say, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know I, I read it somewhere I think it was Robert that's mm-hmm. saying that at the beginning of the pro- uh, uh, this project he said, uh, we failed at everything, let us fail at making games too. Is that true
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think i think I think that in some sense, this is definitely true, yes, um Uh, Because, yeah, so we we first tried to do things that seemed easier, (laughs) like uh, writing novels and and, uh, Rostov tried to be an artist and uh, I was also trying to publish my uh, poems and short stories and all that. And for some reason, like this seems easier, but it wasn't working out for us at all. Um, It almost, because I think we're mostly like people who work really well together so we're, we're, when we're all involved in one project that's when things truly come to life but when it's like each one of us working in one corner then we just weren't getting the response we we wanted so uh it seemed it seemed incredibly ambitious to start an actual video game studio and i think for the first at least two three years I wasn't sure whether it would actually result in anything, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "Are we actually gonna finish and ship this game? Are we, or is it just like some kind of?" Um, uh, but yeah, it uh, it turned out well in the end.
1: Great! I would love to read your poems and short stories. Are they
2: out somewhere? <laughs> no, they're all in Estonian. I'm afraid, so, <laughs> so so the language is only only spoken oh. by by one one million people. So yeah, uh, lucky them. Uh, th- Yes, <laughs> yes I guess uh I guess that was there was another like big shift, like um changing changing our language that where where we actually expressed ourselves um uh, at least for me, like the first few years we were definitely a struggle uh trying to express myself in English wow. uh, a lot more, yeah,
1: I never so, thought about it, yeah, that's another <laughs> obstacle,
2: wow. yeah.
1: <laughs> so in making games uh, people use uh, all kinds of software and tools to create their artwork but your work mostly relies on your creativity rather than a certain software however <laughs> i'm very curious about the softwares you you've been using to write Disco Elysium uh, especially considering the complexity of the narration in that game um
2: so we mostly used Articy uh, Articy Draft and um it's this really, really wonderful tool for writing games. And um, I've spent so many hours there that I just sometimes, uh, like my entire thoughts became this kind of dark green uh, environment. Um, and But yeah, it's uh, it, it's really great. And I think it's also really intuitive. So whenever new writers have come on board, then I'd say that it takes them like, one two days uh, maximum to learn the program, and most of it because you have those you have those dialogue trees there, and it's very very visual. And another thing why I really like RDC, I, I absolutely love this program, is uh, it's because um, if you're a writer, then probably the most daunting thing ever is just staring staring at a white blank uh, text file and thinking, what am I going to write? What's going to happen here? But somehow just writing the dialogues in this tree format, uh, you never ever have this question. Like it just comes naturally. Um, I think a lot of our design was actually influenced by artists as well. I would say Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's very easy to write very shortly, very snappily. So, we always kept in mind to so that no one would go on a long monologue. Uh, okay, or rather, they do go there, but there is always like skill interactions. There are actually, it's always secretly a dialogue with multiple participants. And I think this is really influenced by RDC, yes, because uh, it's much easier to write like shorter uh, snippets of text uh, in each card. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How many how many writers are uh, working at Zome and how do you guys collaborate considering the vastness of uh, this Coliseum story?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so that number has changed quite a lot over the time, but we usually have around at least one, four to five uh, writers on the team, and then. Uh, Sometimes we bring on people for shorter amounts of times to write maybe one dialogue or edit this piece. Uh, But if you look at the credits, then I think the names there, I think the number is around seven, eight. So we've had many, many people working with us. But yeah, like the standard size of the writer's team is like four or five people.
1: So, uh, Stephen King once said, uh, quote, an opening line should invite the reader to begin this story. It should say, listen, come in here, you want to know about this, unquote. And I remember the first time playing Disco Elysium, the game was something more than inviting for me. It was like a living being looking through my head and answering me. Somehow it was like the game was reading my mind and there was uh, a conversation between us. I've been talking to people uh, a lot about this, and we were all curious. How did you guys achieve this sense of conscience in their narration of Disco Elysium? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, I think I think our beginning uh, is really kind of a nod to the beginning of Planescape Torment. Uh, we really, really wanted to kind of make this modern, almost like a humorous version of it, uh, where you wake up and you don't remember what's going on and you have to rediscover your previous lives. Um, I also think that it's actually, you know, in some ways, it's very, cl- it's a very classical amnesiac story. Uh, but I think that all really classical things work uh, because in some ways the player... Almost knows what to expect from the story. So like some kind of um anxiety is, is taken away from them. Um they have like more time to kind of focus on what actually starts unrolling. They're like, okay, I don't remember uh who I am, uh, I'm I'm drunk, so I must be a party animal. There are already things that are assumed. And uh and this can really work in in the favor of Uh, of a writer. So you can really use all those tropes to actually start exploring uh, like consciousness, for example. And um, yeah, this was, this was uh, one of the things that uh, was really, really important for us. Um, So basically our, our skill system, mm, when we were playing I think, I think it comes from the fact that as role players, uh, we were all the kind, kind of role players who just like to put a lot of uh, skills in charisma and intellect and all the dialogue related skills. So we just kind of thought, oh, what it would be like if you just made a game out of mostly those types of um, skills, just to only get the really juicy part in and, uh, and at the same time, I think it's also a really intuitive idea. Uh, I think all people I've spoken to about it, they immediately grasp because we all have so many different voices in our head, just constantly exactly. yakking away. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just seemed, seemed like a really intuitive idea.
1: Yeah, This now that you've mentioned that the sense of amnesia is really helping to kind of understand the character and the word. It's like, okay, there is this... Uh, uh, undiscovered character at the center of this game, but he doesn't know anything about his past. Maybe I am this person and I should find out about my own past. This is really making it easy to kind of understand the character. And I think this game does it pretty well.
2: Yeah. Uh, they're like Basically, we use it as a way to build up uh, a new character. So um, the player is given these tiny bits of information about the past and the question then is, how to react to it? Do you now want to become some other kind of animal now or do you want to continue the life that you led before? And at the same time, we use skills to really talk about how difficult it is to change as humans. Um, so even if you've kind of made that conscious uh, decision that you're going to change, you might still have electrochemistry uh, chipping in and saying that, hey, you should really get a drink now. Even though you have kind of said that, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not that kind of a person anymore. Uh, new year, new me. Um, it's really hard to get free of those obsessive thoughts. So, yeah, I really like how our skill system makes it kind of very, very easy to Uh, understand what's going on there. And I hope that in some ways it might also be an inspiration. So I really like um, Harry's character because he's kind of my uh, biggest fears. So he's someone who has really, really let himself go. But at the same time, this gives him some sort of freedom to really test the boundaries of the society. And he almost becomes like a trickster. And he's also very, very emotional. He really dives into uh, all his emotions. So all that is like very inspiring to me to write <laughs> and and to play and to kind of see see that character come together.
1: Yeah, we're talking about uh, mm-hmm. a future with my, my friends and, mm-hmm. and I was uh, saying that uh, Disco Elysium is kind of like a futuristic game because... I think in the future we kind of like uh, 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 think about a situation. For example, uh, tomorrow morning I'm gonna face my boss and talk about something with my boss. And in the computer we're gonna uh, say, okay, this is the this is the uh, uh, situation. How is it gonna turn out if I do this, yep. if I do that, and, and and this game was something like that. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah, and and. Uh, and in, in this game, uh it's kind of changing its perspective constantly. Sometimes it's like a the first person is story, then a third person and suddenly it becomes a very direct and it feels like a second person perspective. How did you guys achieve this change of perspective throughout the game?
2: I think I think it might be that um us, as writers, we're a really diverse bunch of people. So But it feels and, also time, very coherent yeah yeah it does it does but uh but that's because we kind of made uh the decision to uh really incorporate uh all this kind of like almost it's it's so eclectic at times right uh uh and I remember like when we were writing, then I think in some ways like a lot of the tiny side quests and um like being able to go become a talk dork and learn a lot about the motor carriages or the sandwich quest or those tiny pieces. Um, A lot of it came from actually us procrastinating, I would say, on the actual (laughs) writing tasks. So someone would have like this, oh, okay, this is the quest that I have to write. You know, I'm writing the working class woman. Uh, I know the end point, what's going to happen there, Um, all that. But instead of writing it, I actually start watching videos about cockatoos and then write the tiny cockatoo quest uh, line uh, so and but but I think the genius here um and it was it was most like Robert's decision uh was to keep all those tiny parts in, so it kind of became part of um Harry's uh, character that he's this kind of Almost like hyperactive uh, personality, but but actually, it's just like five, six writers trying to focus on the task and and really failing at it at, at times. Um, so yeah, uh, it works out wonderful if uh, but if if you would try to write, for example, a character that doesn't allow that much eccentricism then it would be definitely something completely different and we would have to cut those parts.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be honest, I I believe Mm -hmm. like 90% of the games have awful stories. (laughs) They are very cliche, mostly uh, ripping (laughs) off films, boring dialogues, mostly relying Mm on uh, lures rather than characters. But Disco Elysium not only has this uh, fascinating uh, interactive story, but it's very brutally honest game it talks about subjects that uh, we all experience in our daily struggles and it talks about identity dreams failure and governments and their problems and errors how do you kind of translate these real struggles into an entertaining game?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I think Gaming industry in general, it's kind of moving towards this point where a lot of games are trying to do everything. So it's almost like... It's almost as if like all gamers are in search of this ultimate game that's going to be, you know, uh, the shooter game, the RPG. I know what uh, you mean. I mean, if, if, if exactly. it was some,
1: someone else, they would probably say, okay, this goal is an awesome story. Now we got to have a great shooting system here. Exactly. And gotta, it's got to be an open world and a, 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 I don't know. Exactly, a weather stealth system. Stealth system.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, um, we really focused on story uh, because we knew that this is where our strength lies, and and it was also really reflected in the production. So, writing a good story, it doesn't just come instantly. It it kind of means that the production has to allow for it to happen. Um, I'm I'm a bit familiar with how how other uh, development cycles work. And quite often, sorry is kind of this like third or, or fourth or fifth thing uh, in, in, in importance. But that wasn't the case for us. So I'm really, really grateful uh, that all our developers, our artists, they really believed that, okay, when writers come and say, you know what, we have to write this dialogue again. I know it's the third time, but we have to do it again. And they just trusted us um, that... Yeah, for the sake of quality and for the sake of those characters too, that you have to kind of give this time um, uh, to make it really, really into something that feels real. Uh, I think. I think one one thing uh, was that we always we always try to take our characters as as real people, so we almost like owed something to them. Uh, the fact that. Uh, their struggles. Um, Like almost every character has this secret secret moment where something is revealed about them. So at first they might be like slightly hostile towards you because you're a police officer or they may seem like a joke. And there are all those like first impressions. But if you speak long enough, then there is like something really human about uh, each character. And... And that was like the way we wanted to build up characters. We always asked, but what is more to this person? Uh, where do they come from? What life have they lived? All those questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you miss those characters now? I do, yes. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been, um, so we've been now uh, for the past year uh, working on The Final Cut. And uh, it comes with some new political quests. And, you know, after the release, we kind of tried to keep our ambitions really low. We were like, no, it's time to take <laughs> vacation and take it easy. But the moment we got back to RTC and we're back with those uh, characters and all those people, like all the quests just boomed like now it's not a really really proper proper quests um uh, very very exciting things happening there i definitely miss them and i definitely miss them when i listen to the soundtrack so this yeah this is this is what really really uh uh presses in my heart on my heart and like there's like some kind of a button where i immediately start feeling very very nostalgic for the game
1: is it daunting now that you know the bar is so high by yourself and about the future work i mean uh, what are you mm-hmm. writing is it daunting like oh man we got something very special before now we got to do something even better than
0: that
2: mm, i think our bar was quite high before as well <laughs> and um, in some ways Like previously, I didn't really know what to expect, whether people would like it or not, whether it would be maybe too dark, um, too... I mean, even the humor isn't everyone's cup of tea. Um, I think it actually makes writing easier knowing that there are people who really connect with it. So I've, I've never been very good at writing when I don't know who I'm writing to. So I always need to have like this image of uh um it's it isn't it isn't like um it isn't a solitary thing in that sense that you're always trying to communicate something to other person and and that's why like getting all that feedback has been so important for us. Like we've been really uh reading all everything that people have written. Uh I think what's especially interesting is that people start writing about their own um life, uh how how it has connected to that. I remember some kind of a forum threads where people just talked about cities. And and they said that, you know, Russia almost feels like a real city. And then they just listed all the cities that they felt some connection to. And I mean some of them are fictional cities, uh cities where we would like to go and live. Uh, so yeah, it's um it's very much a two-way street uh creation. So I think that in sa- in that sense, it's actually easier now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, th- you talked about humor. Hands down, Disco Elysium is the best satire ever told in video games. I love satire and this game is one, of, one son of a bitch of a funny and dark comedy. What's <laughs> the best way to write a, a satirical a story? And what are your favorite books in this genre?
2: Hmm, I think humor is a really tricky thing to get right in, in some ways. Um... Uh, I think, I think it mostly again came from uh, from the writers uh, themselves. So it's it's really difficult to start writing something humorous if you want it to be humorous. Uh, it's almost the same way how um, if you're a stand-up comedian then. Uh, if you if you go up there and try to laugh at your own la- uh, at your own jokes, then no one else starts laughing. So it's it's always something that kind of emerges uh, when you don't really expect it. Mm, but hmm, my my favorite, I think I think when I think about satire and and humor, then I mostly think about maybe stand up comedy uh, stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, favorite books. Um I would say that I'm I'm really a fan of Emile Zola's works. So um I think he she he kind of introduced me to this greedy realism. Um and a lot of his books are much darker than this girl is here, so that's that's really what I'm used to. Um yeah, I definitely recommend uh, his works. Um yeah. Uh, what else? I also really like um, House of Leaves. Uh, that's by an American uh, writer. I think we, his name was Tan- Tanilevsky. I might totally, totally f it up right now. But House of Leaves. I think that's uh, that's for some some for people who really like the kind of like postmodern um, writing style. There's also a bit of horror in it that I just absolutely always love um yeah um what else what else what else what else um there are also some poets that we've been influenced uh Bertolt Brecht um he's kind of very down-to-earth style um Strugatsky brothers uh from the science fiction um so yeah quite uh quite many different uh different um yeah I'm trying to figure out whether I've forgotten about someone i know that we get um we get um, people quite often say that um our writing style and the world we've created is very similar to that of china meville uh but that was yeah so he's uh, city and city and um uh, he also creates those like very realistic worlds where something is slightly off so but but it was something that we discovered only after we had kind of released oh. the game and, and all that. And then, and then I read it and was like, yeah, at least there are definitely similarities. So I would, I would recommend also China Meville for those who are looking for something, something very similar. Um, yep.
1: Yeah. So uh, balancing a good narration with gameplay is a never ending struggle in making games. How do you approach it and how do you keep it, this balance perfect?
2: Uh, can you repeat that? You froze for a moment.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah <yes. laughs> uh, I was curious about balancing between uh, gameplay and the narration of the game. How do we keep it perfect?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think our answer for that was uh, to make the narration into the gameplay. In a sense oh, yeah. that. They're very, they're very interwoven. So um, every decision you make, every every time you upgrade your skills, all that it immediately changes the narration for you as well. So um, I think that was that was that was the number one thing uh, which made it again very kind of organic. Um, and the same thing uh, was about skill checks. So we have those three types of skill checks, Um, ones we call passive uh, skill checks. Uh, These are basically the talking skills, the ones that kind of pop up. And if you miss something, then you don't even know that it was ever there. Um, It almost feels like this kind of like a secret uh, underwater iceberg of the game. So there is, it's very easy to incorporate it um, because i think I think the main thing to making dialogues interesting uh, for the player is is to kind of give them the chance to react to all those things that are being uh, told to them. So one of my like tiny pet peeves uh, in in some games is when you just get find a diary and then there's a lot of lore. and then, but as as a character, the main question is like, how does it actually build your character? Like can I respond to it? Can I kind of um, uh, react to it, to have opinions, all that, and um, and skills, passive passive skill checks. That's like a very easy way to give the player all those different like four different thoughts that you can have about this diary that you just found. Um, so yeah, that was that was one way of like incorpor- incorporating the gameplay. Um, and then we also have uh, red checks and white checks, and uh, they're our main main thing that we tried to achieve was not to lock people out of content. So I, I know that I'm quite guilty of uh, save scumming in, in games and um, I, I think everyone is <laughs> secretly, but, but we really tried to make it so that um, if you fail something, then it becomes part of your character, part of the uh, narrative arc. Uh, Something happens, uh, other people react to it, you kind of uh, blunder uh, up some lines, stuff like that. And I think what's what's really interesting here is that you can actually secretly also see how, for example, Kim, your partner, uh, like messes up some skill checks. So, for example, the way he tries to suit down the body and then misses and all that, that's also like a secretly some kind of a skill check that just didn't, didn't plan out for him. Um, and then, of course, uh, we also have the Thought Cabinet, um, which was, again, a very natural thing in the sense that we wanted to make everything very psychological. And it seemed nice to have this other inventory uh, inventory for your thoughts. Um, and I think Robert has also mentioned it, that it was part of the um, it was, it was, it was a part of the plans that we had in the beginning, but then for some time we almost like not that we did, forgot about it, but it was really a mess for until like a few weeks before the release, uh, when we kind of uh, went over it, uh, really uh, thought about how it works, um, all that. Um, so it's kind of an element of surprise. Mm, I do personally quite like that. I think one of my favorite thoughts there is uh, is is a bit controversial one it's it's one that makes you fail all red checks if it's in research and I think it's my favorite especially because it kind of uh it's it's meant for uh those serial min maxers who just can't can't help but try to do everything perfectly, so you're just really like forced to um go through the failure, see how it uh, plays out, all that. Um, because we know that usually gamers, they really try to win everything, to try to succeed. That's like part of the game gameplay. So that was one of our questions, like how do we encourage people to click on that white check, even if it's like a 7% of chance of uh, success? Like how do we encourage people? Um, that's one way of encouraging, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you play in this Elysium, you're playing in a world uh, of f- failure. So try not to be perfect. Yeah. But I think the, uh, 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 the key important thing here is that you guys make it interactive all, all through. And it's a very story-driven game. But it never bores you. Not not that it's an uh, exciting story uh, necessarily. It's 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 the way that we have this interaction, and ultimately, it's a video game. So it's an interactive medium. Otherwise, it would have been a a book or a, a movie or something. But uh, but we see other games, for example, and suddenly we have like uh, a five minute cutscene that would feel like. Uh, half an hour, or we will have the, again these uh, texts or, or 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 audio files, and they are uh, they're always t- taking control out of your hands, and they're like, hey, listen to this story I'm about to tell. But the Disco Elysium is, I guess, one million words in the script of Disco Elysium, but it never feels boring, or it's it's never yes. peachy, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, um, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting that like in the industry in general, there's there's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, games being more like movies and then at the same time, less like books. Uh, <laughs> and, but I think they're actually this kind of, this kind of a problem, it's really tied. So I think that usually when uh, people are against like story heavy games or uh, story driven games then th- that's that's mostly because they feel that this is like a time where you just kick back and uh the control is taken away from you um while as as I mentioned that earlier as well, I think people are mostly interested uh in the story uh if they have some way to react to it if they if yeah. it's something really, really personal um so that's why we never really have those like standard cutscenes there. Um, I mean, of course, in some ways I also understand why cutscenes are in other games. So quite often, yes, you're, if you're in a, if you've just been in a really really difficult uh, boss fight, then for a moment maybe you just yeah. want to kick back, put down your controller, all that. So that's that's like a different way. But I think it, it's. Shouldn't be the only way of driving the story. Um, there should definitely be something that's kind of more harmonious uh, with the gameplay itself. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, tell me about your favorite games and recent games that inspired you
2: recent games. Um, so recently, I think, um, I think the last thing I played, uh, was, uh, was cyberpunk as, as everyone oh, yeah. uh, has been playing cyberpunk. Yeah. Um,
1: How do you think about think, the narration in that game?
2: How, <laughs> I think, um, uh, I think it's, it's a bit of a game where, yeah, they try to do everything, but I think there are some really interesting, uh, quests hidden there. Um, I think one of my favorite things uh, is that they actually took the diving mechanics, mechanics or the swimming mechanics, and then made it into a quest where you can explore this underworld, underwater world, and and this was this was really like a really like a wow moment for me, and um, and then the other thing I guess I really understand also how. Why they wanted to kind of write two different um, main characters, so you're playing uh, Ri and you're playing uh, Johnny. and um, and this kind of change, I think I think it was quite inspiring for me. Like we've been definitely thinking how to maybe incorporate that more. Uh, I think it's there's there's a lot of potential there in. Uh, Basically, putting the player in a completely uh, different character's shoes for a moment. Um, I just, I guess I wish they, they would maybe have gone more deep into it, but then again, then it would be a exactly. completely another game it, and
1: all that. So, <laughs> this is something tricky. The other day, I was playing mm-hmm. an Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and mm-hmm. you could, again, choose between male and female, but yeah. nah, it doesn't matter. Uh, the 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 way uh, people interact with you stays the same. And it's kind of unnatural because back in those time of uh, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, people wouldn't talk to a male or a female in the same way. Like I, my character was a female character and I was approaching and, and leading the whole town. And I was thinking... People would say, "Oh no!" They would be a little bit sexist here, but yeah, that, that wouldn't work in that game because <laughs> people would find the developers sexist. But <gasps> but uh, how do we? How are we gonna fix this? Is it better to have the, like a, a one gender, but kind of change everything towards dad, or the the dialogue's got to change? I think
2: I think this is definitely. Um, It's a choice. So you can have this character where you can create... It's basically a blank page. You can just put whatever you want there. Um, A lot of uh, RPGs use that model. Uh, You can be an elf, you can be whatever you want. Um, But then in some ways, it always means that the story, uh, or at least the character, um, the world is is not going to react that much. To it. You're not really discovering uh, a pre made character and then kind of uh, um, inflecting your own influence to it, like the way Planescape Torment does. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very difficult problem to kind of solve. Um, and I see, I see merits in in, in both ways, uh, but I think that in some we're mostly interested in kind of. Um, uh, telling those really specific stories and really, really going into uh, this kind of exploration of how the world is going to react. So if you were to write um, a, a female uh, main character now, then it would be just completely different uh, because the world would react to her differently. And uh, yeah, we're after this like more realistic approach to things. Um, but if you want if you want to have both, if you want to have like um male Harry and then a female Harriet, then it would probably just need a writing uh, team twice the size. So that's kind of, you have to Uh take into account. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but that would be great. I mean, uh, uh, again, for 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 clothing system, for example, Mm -hmm. in some of these RPGs, you dress like a schmuck and talk to people the same way like when you dress up something very elegant. (laughs) I mean, mean, we put a lot of uh, time and money into making like a weather system or making something very realistic, but these are kind of uh, forgotten uh, part of realism of games.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's they're very cosmetic uh, changes yeah. quite often, and uh, yeah, I think I think in some ways cyberpunk really showed it because uh, the thing that really mattered the most was your fingernails. That's yeah. what you saw like had you <laughs> had you painted your fingernails or not because that's what you were like mostly seeing and all that. But not, um, how did you look? Uh, whatever, yeah. what was everything else that was going on? Um, yeah. Um, I think so. In our ways, we uh, in our game, I guess we tried to um, make clothing humorous in some way. So we were, I, I think, I think quite, I think uh, quite interesting is that there are like so many ways we've kind of. Taken those really classic RPG elements and then twisted them a bit. So, for example, we have, uh, we have our own dungeons. Uh, our dungeons is uh, the Doomed commercial area. And, and then there is also like this um, rather arbitrary way how uh, you put on some armor and, and sometimes it isn't even armor and then it gives you like um, more strength, even though it's actually just like a coat that doesn't offer any protection whatsoever. <laughs> So so we really wanted to take this idea and kind of twist it. So that's why you uh, quite often have those like almost imagined uh, bonuses uh, attached to all those items. But I think it also talks about the way how like a lot of it, like our strength uh, is imagined. So if I put on like some really cool clothes, yes, I'm going to feel better. And if I uh, show up, in a karaoke bar with a kimono and nothing else, then I mean, I guess it's maybe gonna make me a bit more cra- like uh, a bit more brave because I've already showed up <laughs> with this amount of like flair and drama and all that. So yeah, it, it kind of really shows that all, all of it. This is very very imaginary.
1: Yeah. So, mm. what games are you uh, excited about that that's coming in the future?
2: Hmm. Uh, honestly haven't uh, i was really excited about cyberpunk so so this is and i still haven't finished it so um uh but, but other than that i haven't really kept an eye on what's what's coming what's happening this year because it's been a really weird year for yeah. games and the entire industry and all that so so all the like i'm i'm honestly have to say that this year i don't really even know what's what's going to happen uh, um, a, a massive reboot
1: is coming Oh, that's,
2: that's, that's actually, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. I just talked about it with Robert. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think Mass Effect is mostly, I think what they do really, really great is how, how you build up this one character and it kind of uh, stays, like there are traces of it in every, in every game. So yeah, one thing that I've been wanting to do is just once the reboot uh, comes out, just play all of them um, yeah. um, uh, over again. Uh, Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. Um, I'm also another thing. uh, I kind of want to play Hitman. I think that's uh, that's what uh, Rostov is uh, is playing right now, and it seems that there's a lot of like situational comedy. Uh, He told me how he managed to eliminate someone with those, um, do you know those like yellow signs that say wet floor? Yeah. (laughs) And he has used that as some kind of a murder weapon and it somehow it spoke to me. It's like, I've looked at those yellow signs and it, yeah, it awakes something dark in me and I like that (laughs) Hitman is using it.
1: (laughs) I mean, they have the best sense of humor in Denmark. Danish people are the best... Dark humor, awesome. Actually, oh, yesterday, yesterday I had an interview with a UI designer of Hitman. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> cool yes, guys. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I
2: think I think I think in general I like I like dark humor. Obviously, uh, that's that's why I really like GTA, for example. Uh, I also <laughs> like games that actually allow us to really connect with the really dark sides of us. So it's actually the opposite of what you know uh, American conservatives talks about how video games ruin people. No It's actually a good thing That we're able to Like yeah. really connect With those Kind of like Almost murderous uh, Rage in us through something That's so oh, In And kid like exactly. <laughs> Like GTA
1: This is yeah. crazy That When you give freedom To, to, to the player I mean uh, The other day I was playing uh, Hitman 2 Actually I'm playing the, mm-hmm. uh, Three games And I was supposed to disguise as a barber In a, a, a Indian town And then this target, which was a kind of like a mafia lead in the town, would come mm-hmm. to the, the barbershop and I would like, kill him, <laughs> right? Yes. So I went and I don't necessarily kill people in Hitman because <laughs> I <I've laughs> felt guilty about it. I knocked the guys out and uh, wore his clothes and suddenly his uh, wife came out behind me and I had this razor in my hand and accidentally I killed the wife. And then I came down and killed the target. And then I thought about th- about it in my head, and I was like, "All right, the guy's come, come, wakes up and opens the door to this uh, drawer that I put him." and finds his wife uh, dead with uh, on the ground with a razor uh, his own razor the mafia elite is dead in his shop and they're going to blame him and this guy's going to go in and say honest to god i tried to <laughs> reload the game and start the game from a checkpoint and that that's not in the game i mean the character doesn't have any conscience but when the word is real uh, so real it feels like that that's the same thing in disco elysium i mean everything you say uh, it's going to turn out good or bad, but you got to, uh, you know, play along. You got to go forward. Yeah, like,
2: you, you got to own up to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 a lot of it. Yeah, I would say that this is very much a game about owning up and uh, to your mistakes and, and all the blunders and, and all that. So you just really, really got to roll with it. And, and that's when it becomes really, really fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, right. So uh, uh, your, uh, what are your favorite movies?
2: Movies? Hmm. Uh, more of a maybe TV series kind of girl, I would say. But movies, um, I'm afraid that all my, all my movie taste is, is quite depressing at times. So, one of the, um, I, like, um, I like Danish movies. Oh, me too.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, I like uh, the Pusher series. Um, oh,
0: Nicola's spinning riffle.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: You're the type uh, that of girl was, that who would like uh, Lars von Trier, right?
2: Oh yeah, I do like <laughs> Lars von Trier, so exactly. I think, I think that's, that's kind of the rabbit hole where I, where I started. <laughs> um, and then there are other like um, uh, Joachim Trier. Um, they have the same last name, but they're not related as I can understand, but they both make great movies. Oh. So he's Oslo, uh, 31st August. Uh, I think that's one of Oh yeah, yeah one of my favorite
1: movies. Do you know it? No. I think I watched it. um no, yeah. That was another movie mm. from Paul Paul Green yeah. <laughs> Mistake. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes, yes,
2: yes. How about uh, so, Thomas yeah, Winterrig?
1: Yeah. Uh, this year he, he has another round which is uh, competing for Oscar. Have you watched it?
2: Uh I haven't I haven't watched it yet. Uh, go I also watch watched Th- it. that's the no. yeah.
1: Elysium game. <laughs>
0: another yeah. round. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, there are also like many T V series that uh, we've been really influenced by um uh, Two Detective I think we oh yeah uh, mentioned here and there. Yes. Um yep. Um what else? Twin Peaks of course. Oh I yeah. It's that's like a yeah. <laughs> classic, a classic there. Yeah. Yes.
1: Great. So thank you so much Helen. You're a kind, talented and Self-aware, beautiful soul, and your work is inspiring and thought-provoking. You're a great example for a Wonder Woman to all the girls out there who dream of becoming a great storyteller Mm -hmm. like you. Thank you for everything and thank you for your time.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the interview. It was really nice to talk to you. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much.